Hello and welcome to Econoday Day Unplugged on Tuesday, the 10th of December 2019. Mark Pender is stateside and I'm Jeremy Hawkins in London. So where are we then? Just one day before the next FOMC announcement and a couple before both the Swiss National Bank and ECB make their policy statements. And of course, there's the little matter of a UK general election on Thursday too. So in other words, there's no shortage of potential market moving events from both sides of the pond this week. So best we get on with it. FOMC comes first. So, Mark, yes. after last Friday's surprisingly healthy employment report, yes. is any speculation about a further rate cut completely out the window? Completely out the window based on our sample of forecasters. There's uh, no forecaster who is that, that we sample that uh, is calling for anything but no change. And uh, that is, like you say, from uh, Friday's employment report where the non-farm payroll total was way uh, above expectations at 266,000. It got a lift, uh, about 50,000 of that from the um, GM strike coming to an end. Um, but outside that, uh, it was strength all the way through, especially for um, services, uh, business services. Um, that had a, a 38,000 uh, monthly increase. And that has been a very strong uh, number. A lot of employment going to contractors uh, that uh, suggests that employers are, uh, are going to contractors having trouble finding the right people that they need uh, and uh, are, are going that route. Um, and we also had a little bit of, uh, of inflation, uh, wage inflation just a little bit, still very moderate, 3.1% uh, year-on-year growth. Uh, but that has been coming up a little bit. That had been sagging for about the last year or so. And the me, how's, how's, that, how's that compare with the rate at the start of the year, the 3.1? It's about the same. It's come it down. Is. It's come down a little bit. It peaked out uh, at about three, 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 four. I think uh, that might might, might have been uh, revised away, but it it kind of peaked last year. It, it moved up into that uh, low three percent range, and then it's kind of like edged back. And now we're coming uh, and edging a little bit higher, which is a very positive uh, sign. Even though real wages, we had productivity uh, and unit labor costs today, and and real wages uh, in in the third quarter only grew uh, 0.5% at, at an annual rate. So that's a very, you know, um, you know, that's, that's not a lot of firepower for, um, for consumer spending, but it, you know, it, it, it is, it's still improving, I guess a little bit anyway. Um, and, um, uh, the unemployment rate is 3.5%, and that's right back at a 50-year low. So the uh, employment, you know, how much more, uh, you know, we, we had this conversation in the past when the Fed was raising rates uh, several years back. Uh, you know, was there capacity available in the labor market? Uh, the, this, this question isn't really uh, evident right now or isn't really in play right now. Uh, but I can tell you anecdotally from my own experiences here in the mid-Atlantic states that there are a lot of uh, help wanted signs everywhere uh, from the post office to retailers. Um, and last time I saw that kind of, uh, of uh, help wanted was uh, 10 years ago at this, uh, you know, going into the, the peak of um, the last expansion. Now, I'm not saying that there's going, you know, uh, I don't think the Fed actually believes that either. I think that the Fed on uh, Wednesday uh, that'll be tomorrow, um, will uh, be neutral. Um, I don't think that they can step aside from a, a cautious 
um, uh, cutting bias, uh, accommodation bias. Uh, there's probably still more risks to the um, to the downside, and they probably don't want to be, you know, in in, in the firing range in Washington right now. Uh, uh, Donald Trump has been uh, talking, uh, uh, has been jawboning the Fed again last week about uh, uh, lowering rates. Uh, they're not going to do it tomorrow, but uh, uh, I think that they're going to uh, lay low, um, and it's not going to be. Um, uh, hopefully it'll be for them, uh, you know, a, uh, an FOMC meeting that'll come and go, and we'll be in that uh, in that same kind of. We're in a kind of a, a you know a sweet spot right now, really, for the economy. Why is that? Well, we have lower rates. We also have a government that's borrowing and spending at, a, at an enormous rate, and this is all very stimulative. And it's going into the 2020 election. That's probably not an accident. And uh, and uh, it's probably sustainable. There, there doesn't seem to be any signs of, of cracks appearing, uh, um, except for how low the unemployment rate is. And but that has yet to um, be an issue. Job openings have been coming down, so that, that's probably a plus, uh, even though they're still very very high. And but let me ask you. Uh, uh, now, now let's turn to uh, uh, to Europe right now. We have, like you say, you know, three major events coming up here. I don't know. Would you say that the uh, Swiss National Bank? It's a it's a fascinating meeting, but it, would is that a, a major economic event for Europe? I think probably not. I mean, it certainly could be, but I think as far as the SMB is concerned and the way the market's approaching that meeting, as mentioned on Thursday, is really that the SMB, because of what else is happening around the world at the moment, um, they really want to keep any powder they still have left as dry as possible. So as people are probably aware, when it comes to SMB policy, they target, well, essentially they target inflation around the 2% mark. And they've had this huge problem for a long time now of what they regard as an overvalued Swiss franc. Now, Crucially, I guess for them, um, they took a gamble when the ECB cut interest rates last September. They didn't follow suit. And fair enough, we started to see some capital inflows moving into the Swiss franc, which saw it appreciate even further above the sort of levels that the, the SMB might be comfortable with. However, that appreciation didn't really last that long. And as we go into Thursday's meeting, unless we see some major volatility between now and then, then the key cross rates, so the Swiss franc euro cross rate, is pretty well at the same level. So to that extent, I think the view is going to be, well, look, we didn't need to cut interest rates or do anything else with policy last time round. Um, so we probably don't need to do anything this time. And then see what happens, of course, to the UK election or indeed if anything particularly you know, unexpected comes out of the ECB meeting. Uh, is there a chance of anything unexpected coming out of the ECB meeting? Is it as airtight as far as forecasting goes as the FOMC that nothing will happen? Um, I think it is, yes, in terms of sort of, you know, the major policy parameters. So with regards to interest rates, I guess, you know, the starting thing to say is, well, don't forget, this is Christine Lagarde's first time um, wearing uh, Mario Draghi's presidential hat. So first meeting with the SMB since she took over control. So that in itself, you know, kind of argues against anything happening. But just from the way the economy is performing as well, really, the bottom line is not much has happened to economic developments in the Eurozone since for last meeting. So markets are really 100% nailed in. You know, no change in the referee rate, so that's still zero. The key deposit rate at minus 0.5% and the marginal lending rate at 25 basis points. Um, can, you, can, you, yeah. can you touch on real quick, it's a fascinating, from the US perspective, uh, uh, their uh, climate uh, uh, concerns and that they're going to actually be um, 
directing investment toward uh, uh, toward climate uh, 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 issues. Uh, uh, we don't see anything uh, remotely like that. That has a couple of uh, of interesting things. It's the language that they use, and it's also the investments that they use. So, can you touch on that? Yeah. Quickly, two things then. Well, there's two aspects, I think, which market um, you know, investors need to be aware of about Thursday's meeting. One, and first, I suppose we should you know, just just get out of the way, is that um, Lagarde has initiated a major wholesale review of how monetary policy is structured for the ECB. And this is going to be an in-depth and very open review, um, part and parcel of which is going to be a reconsideration of the existing inflation target. So people, I'm sure remember that you know, the ECB's current objective is to get HICP, so essentially consumer price inflation, close to but just below the 2% mark. They've been missing that objective for a very long time now. So it may be we'll get some hints coming out of the guard as to what she's going to do with that target. I expect at this stage it's far too early, but it's well worth you know hanging on to what she had to say at her press conference with regards to that. Because, for example, we've had calls from the Austrian Central Bank to reduce the target down to 1.5%. Other people have different ideas about price targeting and so on. But whatever they were to do to it, you know, could have significant ramifications for all the financial markets. And now, if they do, if they do lower it, then um, that would that would probably be bearish for the market. Is that right? That's right. Because essentially, what they're saying now, let's say um, we've got eurozone inflation at the moment running what just over one percent, around one point three percent. If they reduce the target to you know close to but just below one and a half percent, essentially, you could say, well, well, hey. We're on target. No need to do anything else for policy. Now, on the green side, this is sort of the interesting thing, which at this stage, um, well, I can't really say it's nebulous, but it's still very much a kind of wait to see what's going to happen with regards to this. But Christine Lagarde is coming in and she has made very much a, a clear intention that she wants to make ECB monetary policy green. And she came out, I think, was it a couple of weeks ago and said that climate change and environmental risk are mission critical. So what they're going to do is part and parcel of this overall deep review of monetary policy is to consider how to address environmental sustainability of the ECB's bond buying program. And that's really just a reflection that a lot of the corporate bond purchases we've seen so far at the ECB, which come under as, as part of their, their overall asset purchase program, they've been tended to be skewed towards what they call carbon intensive assets. So those sort of, you know, corporates who per perhaps, you know, create, you know, more of a carbon footprint, let's say, than, than other corporates might do. So on paper, this could lead to a sort of reallocation of their bond portfolio, more towards you know, green-focused companies, if you like, and less towards those not-so-green-focused. That's a, an amazing uh, nuance of, uh, of um, bond of the, the central bank quantitative easing, isn't it? It's unexpected, I guess. Uh, when, when, when it first started, you know, uh, we, didn't, we didn't talk about about political um, angles where they could use their bond buying to to you know to uh, to uh, promote a, I don't want to say a cause but promote I guess that's what it is um, and I guess this reflects a fundamental I mean is is European uh, attitude is there are there uh, objections to this. 
Well, I certainly think, I'm the, of course, you know, there's good news and bad news out of this, I suppose, if you're a corporate. If you're a corporate who's suddenly going to come to ECB knocking on your door and say, hey, we want to buy your bonds because we think you're ever so green, that's extremely good news. But let's say if you're a heavy engineering manufacturing company, let's say based out of Germany, uh, all of a sudden you could have big problems trying to sell your bonds, or at least it'd have to carry a higher yield than it would do otherwise. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of swings and roundabouts on this. And partly because of that, I think the nature of the you know the setup of industry across the eurozone on a national basis depending upon where you fit into this green spectrum it's going to be perhaps a good thing or a bad thing and that could well mean that Lagarde could face challenges over this green policy in the same way she's going to anyway over you know the, the, the traditional monetary stance because we know perfectly well going back to the Septemberese uh, the likes of the Austrians and particularly the Germans were extremely unhappy with the cut in interest rates and the decision to restart quantitative easing does the ecb break down exactly what corporate bonds uh, and are and are they uh, uh, confined to the eurozone well like well it's it is it's, it's across the eurozone certainly as things currently stand um looking at their numbers like they have about seven percent well t- total asset purchase from the ecb as of november of course when they re- restarted quantitative easing so that 2.57 trillion euros of that um, corporate bonds were about 1.8, bi- sorry, 183 billion. So we're talking getting on for about seven percent or so of a total asset purchase program. Do um, they break now, down? Do they break down names in the in the? Not well. Bonds? To the best of my knowledge, no. They'll break it down into like you know consumer sectors and other type of sectors like that. But I must, I've got to be honest, I'm not sure if they actually go any further than that. It may be they'll start doing that as part and parcel of this, you know, this new review program. Wow, and there's nobody uh, who's saying that 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 this is not good, that this is uh, over uh, something that the central bank shouldn't be doing. Well, I think at this stage, I mean, this is just you know the kind of sort of you know the rumours floating around the markets. Well, I say rumours. We know there's going to be this big this, this big policy review, but I guess it's a case. Of, well, look, let's see what Lagarde and Co come up with before we decide whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Mm. Okay, SMB then quickly. Uh, we've done the SMB. No, we did we, we left uh, general general election. I almost forgot that. How could I? Oh dear, less than two days away. Lucky UK residents. Um, what more can I say on that? Not a great deal. Um, kind of repeat, I guess, what we talked about last week to the extent that the current polls still put the Conservative Party, so the ruling party over here, about eleven percentage points ahead in the opinion polls. If you believe the opinion polls, then that kind of suggests that Boris Johnson and Co will be returned with a majority if they do then it probably means that we'll have brexit uh done and delivered by the end of january which of course is currently laid down in uk law that would be followed by a transition period when they negotiate the key trade deal and this ultimately will be the thing that determines whether or not it's a soft brexit or a hard brexit and under the current arrangements that will need to be sorted out by december next year so it's, I think kind of most- more, it's going to be more of the same is it? Well, I think people are I mean, I think jumping out and down thinking, well, hey, that's Brexit done, done and dealt with, but not at all. All we have so far on the table is um, an agreement between uh, the UK government, not yet Parliament, that's still got to be passed through, but the UK government and the EU leaders about a withdrawal treaty. So basically how much it's going to cost the UK to pull out of the EU in the first place and some other bits and pieces. But of course, for, for industry, what they really want to know is, well, OK, that's all very well. We may not be part of the Europe. 
European Union anymore, but how the heck are we going to trade with them? What are the terms going to be? And in terms of that, we have actually no idea at the moment whatsoever. And the worry, I think, for financial markets, which isn't being discounted yet at all in, in asset prices, I think, is that it could well be if Boris Johnson decides to play hard, we could end up at the end of a transition period in December next year with no trade agreement and all of a sudden say it becomes a hard Brexit. That's it. Done, deal, delivered. No trade deal. Mm. So it's still very much an open case at the moment. But I think you know, from purely an investor viewpoint, it's worthwhile bearing. Well, let's say as we record this podcast, I mean, sterling is up almost 10 percent um, against the dollar since August. Um, we're close to 31 month highs against the euro as well. So I think you've got to say that you know, financial markets are currently discounting a kind of scenario in which Brexit is delivered in a sort of market friendly, industry friendly way. And it's certainly not guaranteed we're going to get that. And I suppose, you know, the biggest risk to financial markets now is that if we were to see a Labour victory, that would come completely and utterly out of the blue in terms of what the polls and investors are expecting. And were that to happen, just the makeup of Labour's policies, crucially with the likes of higher taxes and nationalising a good chunk of British industry, that would go down like a lead balloon. And that would be reflected in a significantly weaker level of pounds and hit equities as well. Um, one last thing just on the election, since I'm sure people are fed up with it by now, as much as the UK electorate is. Um, I mentioned was a couple of weeks or so ago, there was one poll which comes out of YouGov, which uh, was the only polling company which actually correctly called the hung parliament result back in uh, what tw 2017, when mm. Theresa May lost what was a, a, comfortable, a comfortable majority at the time. Mm. The last of those polls is coming out this evening, so that'll be 10 o'clock London time. Um, if wow. that were if that were to show, say, an even larger lead for Boris Johnson, the pound mm -hmm. and the pound's going to go up. If it shows a narrowing in the lead, then the pound could come up quite sharply. Well, well that's an interesting thing for the listeners, you know, because, uh, you know, currencies are going to trade and bonds are going to trade at the moment that this um, poll is going to be released. And, very much so. and you know, the, the, the smart money is going to, you know, be right there with the, with the fastest kind of information feeds that they can possibly have. So it'll be interesting to watch those currencies move around. Can we just real talk about, real quickly about economics? You had a, a bunch of economic data, industrial production data this morning out of Europe, and it looked totally flat to me. And, and I saw in some of you, uh, I, I, did I see the word recession in, in some of your uh, comments? Well, you will do these days, sadly, if you're not sitting in the States anyway. Um, the Eurozone industrial sector is already in recession as of the third quarter of this year. Germany's in recession. It Well, industrial sectors, Germany in recession, Italy in recession as well. Now, as you mentioned, we've had, well, we're waiting for the Eurozone October industrial production figures. They're due out on Thursday. And what we've had so far, um, Germany he had an absolutely awful number for October. It was down 1.7%. Uh, the French saw a small increase. Italy saw a decline. So it looks as if we're going to see overall Eurozone industrial production Thursday showing another downturn then as well. So it looks as if there's a good chance that the Eurozone goods producing sector will finish 2019 in recession. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. German, German 
uh, merchandise trade, w- exports were up sharply. I'll tell you what, it's interesting. I mean, amidst all this talk about the damage that the slowdown in global trade is, in, you know, is, is inflicting upon um, European and indeed the other major industrialized economies, Germany had a surprisingly good set of October trade numbers you mentioned. It's the best we've seen for, for several months this year. And there's strength in exports coming through. And just going back to this goods producing sector, I mean, manufacturing orders, which you know, we use as a leading indicator of industrial production, um, that was down 0.4% on the month in October. But that was wholly due to the domestic side of it. The export side actually was remarkably strong. And really what we're seeing more and more now is this is kind of divergence between what appears to be really, really weak domestic demand in Germany and an overseas sector which slowed down considerably during the first half of the year, but has actually started to pick up a little bit. So, I mean, if you look at you know, domestic orders for German manufacturing in October, were down some 3.2% on the month. Now, I know they're vo- very volatile, but that's getting on for 8% on a year-on-year basis. So, it really does you know, just underline the problems that German manufacturers are facing at the moment. Inside Germany. So, but what does this say about the value of the euro? It's a competitive... Well, it's, if, if you take if you, yeah, if you take Germany at face value, it kind of suggests that you know they're doing okay. I mean, I mean, the problem, I suppose, when you look at the eurozone balance of payments, or certainly look at the trade balance, there's always a very nice, healthy surplus. I must say, always there has been for an extremely long time now, and we'd expect that to continue to be the case. I mean, it's typically running at getting on for what about 20 billion uh, euros a month, so very mm-hmm. comfortable. But by far and away, the huge chunk of that comes out of Germany. The likes of France, they've had big trade deficits a long time. Italy's moved into surplus, but that's only because domestic demand's been so weak. So I think, you know, if there's still this kind of question mark that, yes, the current level of euro may be all right for some countries, but not necessarily so good for the others. So when Lagarde talks on Thursday, is the word recession going to be prominent? Is uh, I don't think she'd really dare to do that i think she will maintain because remember the ecb is currently still operating with you know downside risk bias they will be updating their quarterly economic forecasts on thursday as well but i would suspect they won't make major changes to last time but i do think lagarde is going to come out because she's known as being you know, a dove i do i'm not sure she'll plug this recession word because that could lead to panic but i do think she'll make warning noises about you know there's still downside risk to you know to the eurozone economy but the ecb stands by and ready to do whatever's necessary you know to make sure that you know things pan out okay in the end what kind of support do you think she has in the ecb is it broad and strong or is it uh to be honest i think it's a bit early to say i mean one thing you can say about lagarde is that she's known as an arch diplomat she's extremely good at you know getting people from you know at least slightly different ends of the spectrum to you know to come together and agree on something but whether or not that's actually going to work when she comes to sitting on the governing council or not i mean at this stage we simply don't know um mario draghi i must say was seen as being you know quite a, a hard-headed person who steamrolled her through a number of measures lagarde i suspect is going to be much more consensus orientated but she very much has her own view and that tends to be you know economy economy friendly um but say how that goes well it's gonna be interesting to see over the first you know few of her meetings to see what kind of responses she gets do you see any uh, action in the euro developing from this um unless we get something you know really i mean like something 
which really sparks investors or whets their appetites with regard to changes in inflation target or something which you know very specifically refers to an impending change in the stance of monetary policy um, I think for European investors the focus will be much more upon you know what's going on with the European uh, the European with the UK election Okay. Um, is there anything else we should be saying? I suppose um, this. Ra- I should mention, of course, central banks. Since we're doing those um, today, RBI last week, the, the Reserve Bank of India last week, there was no change, despite at least a minority um, call for another cut. But they're still extremely dovish. By the looks of it, looks like they're just waiting for the government to deliver its new budget before they work out what fiscal policy is going to be going to look like. So don't so don't be surprised. Another cut there. And of course, Bank of Canada, one of the uh, central banks from the which is actually doing mm-hmm. half well at the moment. No change out of them on Wednesday. But mm-hmm. keep an eye on the Canadian dollar there because the, the BOC is not happy with current levels. And if that continues to appreciate, it could tip the balance. Yeah, in, sure. In, in India too, Reserve Bank of India, no action, right? That's right. I mean, to say, I think they're waiting for the you know the fiscal policy to be uh, to be announced, and once they know what the government's going to do with that, um, they're still dovish at the moment. So they may well come out and and do something as well. But so as you so, so global central policy has kind of been is coming at year end now, and more of a, li- a after having a bias toward cutting, a very strong bias toward cutting. It's kind of leveling out now. But even though the, econ- the general economics uh, indications are flat, uh, they're not deteriorating right but uh, th- that seems to be the trend i think that's right i think they're probably I mean, looking back they've done a fair chunk in terms of interest rates over the last what couple of years or so they've done a lot in terms of quantitative easing um and uh, you know the first sign that well perhaps the economy is doing a little bit better or not deteriorating anymore that gives them the window to at least stop having to do anything else and just try and you know keep what few measures they got left uh, for, for the future as and when they need them on which note, let me just quickly ask you, going back to the mm-hmm. States, mm-hmm. I saw one of our old pals from the, the Atlanta Fed, uh, the former president, Dennis Lockhart, was on the mm-hmm. wires today, said mm-hmm. he thought Fed funds could be on hold through all of 2020, particularly if there's no change in July, because then it gets too close to the election. Do you think that mm-hmm. makes sense? Oh, it's because I didn't read the, I didn't see his uh, comments. Um, but if uh, if the Fed doesn't want to be political, and it usually steps, or it often steps back, typically steps back, uh, or it lays low during an election year, and this would be one where uh, there could be a lot of, you know, a, you know, a, a lot of uh, uh, an atmosphere of, of, of politics that they may not want to be involved in. Um, it could very well stay low, but or, or stay steady where it is right now. Uh, that would be a, 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 I think, a reasonable outcome uh, if the economy is where it's, it continues to extend this non-inflationary, strong growth. There, you know, there really would be no need um, to, to either to change rates on the upside or, or to or to cut rates further. Okay, fair enough. Watch this space, as they say. Right, let's round it up there, then, since we've been prattling on for quite long enough. Um, from Mark and myself, thanks for tuning in, as always. Remember to keep up to date with all the key market moving data and events in Econoday's global economic calendar. And we look forward to chatting to you again next week. Bye for now.